from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Law Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. One of the most important decisions Portlanders will make in this election year is who will be the next mayor. Whoever he or she is will lead the city into the future with a new form of government, one completely different from the system the city has operated with for more than 100 years. The new mayor will hire the new city administrator and a new police chief. They'll also help set the city's agenda and set the tone for the culture of the city. So far, there are three leading candidates who have raised the most money from the most contributors, and they're all current city commissioners. Commissioners Renee Gonzalez, Mingus Maps, who we had on the show when he announced his candidacy back in September, and Carmen Rubio, she's scheduled to join us next month. Tonight, we're pleased to welcome Commissioner Renee Gonzalez to the show. Here's a little bit of background about him. Renee Gonzalez is the Portland City Commissioner of Public Safety. He oversees the Portland Fire Bureau, the Bureau of Emergency Communications, and the Bureau of Emergency Management. Commissioner Gonzalez was elected to the Portland City Council in November 2022 with a focus on restoring the city's safety and livability. Prior to entering public service, Commissioner Gonzalez worked as an attorney, opened his own law firm, and owned a software business. He is deeply proud of his Mexican-American heritage and is the son of a one-time migrant worker who worked his way up to become a federal prosecutor and then a trial judge. Welcome to my guest, Commissioner Renee Gonzalez, candidate for Portland mayor. Welcome to Stray Talk. It's great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me, Laurel. Well, this is a really big decision to run for mayor. And some people may wonder with all of Portland's problems, challenges, the criticism that elected leaders often get without any thanks, really, a lot of times. Why in the world would you want to be mayor? I love this city. I'm a fifth generation Portlander. This is the only city my children have known. I'm raising three Portland born, Portland raised children. And uh, it's a city worth fighting for. We are facing immense challenges, but we also have an incredible opportunity to define what a Western city looks like post pandemic. And in a way, it's a lifetime of an op it's an opportunity of a lifetime to help confront these challenges and build the city for the future. And it's really been tough so far in the race for you and your family. You've been targeted by vandalism. A car owned by a relative in front of your house was set on fire. Police are investigating as arson. And recently you were on TriMet and you were confronted by a citizen angry about your homeless policies. And you said in a tweet that you were accosted by this woman. And, and because of that, you wanted to take a break from TriMet. The video from TriMet doesn't actually seemed to show that you were physically accosted the way you said in your tweet. What it, was it about this video we're looking at right now about this incident that made you feel threatened and that you didn't want to ride TriMet anymore? Well, it really was a series of events. We dealt with a half dozen issues in a three week period, starting with the arson. Uh, we had direct threats made against our campaign, or against our campaign, against our, us at the city. Uh, in addition, I had a staffer assault during this period and so it was really a culmination of a number of events in a very short period of time building off of going back to my election my original race where we faced vandalism where we faced threats of protests with sometimes ambiguous uh, threats made against person uh, that it was it was an aggregation of all of those I am I am multimodal. I've been a big uh, Max user. I will be again in the future. This is less about the Max train and more about what 
my staff, my family, what I as an elected and as a candidate have experienced in recent weeks. And we're working to recalibrate how we protect electeds. Right now, I'm the one getting all the attention uh, from some of these groups. And uh, as we recalibrate that, we'll, we'll readjust. Uh, Why do you think you, I mean, the other candidates aren't getting as much, the, the level of threats, the number of threats you're getting. Why do you think you're being targeted more? Well, you know, I've been very direct on having to address our public safety challenges on how to recalibrate uh, a very compassionate community, but that, to get away from enabling some of the really difficult challenges we're having on our streets. Uh, I'm unique as an elected official and being very direct on those issues. And I, I think that has garnered uh, attention of folks that you know feel strongly about those things. Um, I'm not the only elected to experience this though. Mayor Wheeler certainly has been uh, faced some really tough times from fringe groups. Uh, Commissioner Ryan faced it when he voted not to further defund the police. So unfortunately there is a broader trend, but the attention seems to be on me because of the houseless questions and really my commitment to public safety in the city. Do you feel like your colleagues and, and other citizens are speaking up forcefully enough against this sort of antagonism? I think we, we need to do collectively as a community more to condemn this type of behavior. And look, everyone has a First Amendment right to engage in discussion about public policy. And uh, it's fine to disagree with electeds, it's fine to communicate that. But crossing that line into attempting intimidation to arson, which to me, from my vantage point, that is, a, uh, that is domestic terrorism. And just to be clear, directed at an elected, uh, this is something that we broadly have to condemn. And I think we've wrestled as a community. We want uh, people to be engaged in the process and to rigorously uh, debate issues, and I'm fully supportive of that. But once it passed this line, we need to be more firm in condemning it and preventing it. Has your family ever not wanted you to run for mayor? Have you ever thought about not running because of this? I've held the line. You know, it's, uh, I think the, the opportunity is real. The challenges for the city are that, that important that people have to step forward. Uh, but I know two ways about it. This has been very hard on my wife. Uh, you know, she's raising three children in the city of Portland. Uh, and this exposes them to things that don't want to have to explain why is grandma and grandpa's car on fire in the middle of the night. Uh, that's a tough thing to explain to a 12 year old. And um, for my parents, you know, they want to age in place. They want to enjoy this city. And two days after returning to the city, their car's on fire. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so yes, this has had a cost. This has been, that's been very hard on the people I love. Um, and my job is to make sure that one, we continue to take steps to protect them, to shield them from these more vicious sides of our current climate and to that make the most of this opportunity to improve the city that we all love. Well, I'll speak for everyone that's watching. I'm sure we're really sorry well, that's happened you. to you and your family. You said one of the reasons you think that you've been targeted is your position on, on homelessness and public safety. So let me ask you about public safety, because if you're mayor, you'll be in charge of hiring the next police chief. What will you be looking for in a new police chief and how will public safety be different with you as mayor? Well, I think it's essential that the next police chief has experience managing a police department in a liberal city. I mean, and you know, there's gonna be expectations uh, uh, around police accountability that are real in the city of Portland. Um, there's going to be 
a demand that you're utilizing data and being data driven and making decisions about how we allocate resources that while there are some tried and true methods of law enforcement we continued we have to continue to innovate and um, and partially that's to avoid some of the bad behaviors in the past by certain type of policing over policing in certain communities we have to be much more targeted when we're looking at the things that are most negative in our community uh, I'll give you just one example gun violence you know we used to go in and saturate a community with police officers when there's a shooting. We are becoming much more intelligent about targeted intervention and deterrence. And the next police chief has to fully embrace those techniques so that we're not over-policing, but still responding in a thoughtful, tactical way to uh, these challenges of gun violence. I'd start with that. And another element of public safety is also what we're seeing ha happening with ambulance response yes. time. They've been exceedingly long, and this week you're sponsoring a resolution to try to correct things. Tell us about that. So we're going to request that the uh, Multnomah County Chair uh, pilot a one-on-one. -on -one. So that's a uh, single paramedic with an EMT as opposed to two paramedics on Which is ambulance. required now by the county, right? That's right. And Multnomah County is one of the only counties in the area to have such a requirement. It's extremely rare nationally as far as we can find to mandate two paramedics. And it was fine when we had an abundance of paramedics. We are facing a national, regional, and local shortage of paramedics right now. As a result, our ambulance providers cannot fully staff. And uh, that means if a loved one has a heart attack or a stroke in the city of Portland, there are many, many instances where there's not gonna be an available ambulance to respond. That's putting our community at risk and it's putting incredible pressure on Portland Fire, which is the one that will be there in seven minutes. They're not designed for transport, however. And uh, the longer they're offline, that impacts the rest of the community. It also means sometimes we're transporting a four-person fire truck to the emergency room, not designed for that purpose. There's a whole bunch of liabilities issues associated with it. It takes that fire truck away from doing some of the other important work they do. Do you think you have support for that resolution in the council and in the county? It looks good. You know, I believe the city of Gresham is going to uh, pursue a similar resolution on roughly the same timing. I think we're going to see a resolution the county. Uh, this is really the community as a whole stepping forward, uh, particularly those with close ties to public safety, looking at the status quo. It is unacceptable. It is exposing our community to risk. And I, I'm worried that if we don't intervene now, the ambulance system will collapse in Multnomah County. The trend lines are not They're good. They're severely understaffed AMR already, right? That's right. And it's in and the trajectory is getting worse. That as bad as things are right now, six months from now, we're gonna have less available ambulances in Multnomah County without some real significant intervention. And we think changing the staffing model will help do that. And along the same lines, uh, Portland Fire and Rescue's CHAT program, yeah. the Community Health Assess and Treat Program has a, a new pilot program that's trying to respond to overdoses and ease the burden on paramedics in that area. How is that going with that program? We're really excited about it. Um, it's started in what we call fire management area one which is old, the big fire station one in old town um, and uh, one of the interesting pieces with the overlap of the 90-day fentanyl intervention is that there's more law enforcement presence while we're piloting this 
that's actually pushing some of the overdoses into adjoining areas. Uh, so we have expanded the area they can cover from the original pilot, which is going to be in uh, fire management area one. It's now a little bit bigger area it's covering, but so far we're real happy with uh, its start. It got a little bit delayed because of the, uh, the weather. Uh, we had to push it back a week, and so we'll have more data in the coming weeks, but very excited about how it's going so far. Well, let's talk about measure 110. That yeah. was the measure that legalized possession of small amounts of drugs. The legislature right now talking about possibly recriminalizing. What are your thoughts about that? And how will you handle, if you're a mayor, the drug crisis on our streets? Well, we need to revisit Measure 110. Uh, on, on the good side, uh, the commitment to dollars for addiction services, I fully support. I think the way that they prioritize harm reduction as opposed to building beds and some of the other more you know, long-term solutions to addiction needs to be rethought, but fundamentally it's commitment to addiction dollars I support. But decriminalization, especially when we're dealing with these highly addictive drugs, so remove the, you know, the right balance of carrots and sticks for those suffering from substance use disorder and engaging in negative behaviors often to support those addictions. Um, and it absolutely has to be recalibrated. It, it needs to face some sort of criminal behavior. And again, I led the charge in the city of Portland last summer to ban outdoor drug use. What should um, the punishment be? There's a lot of discussion. Should it be the highest level misdemeanor right below felony that Republicans want or the lowest level misdemeanor that Democrats want? You know, I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that piece. It is imperative that regardless of what level of misdemeanor, that it is in fact a real stick that can that will drive people to participate in in addiction services. Um, the challenge about the misdemeanor level, if we don't commit to actually prosecute, it doesn't matter what level that is. If we don't follow through in 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 the system in holding people accountable for not showing up, it doesn't matter what the misdemeanor is. And so. Um, I, I'm more focused about the whole system around it uh, to make sure that we're actually committing to it and also that on the on the outside that there are the addiction services online to help these people that go through this process and do want to try a second chance, do want to get on the path to recovery. We've got to be pushing on those two pieces simultaneously. The level from my vantage point I don't feel as strongly about. One other piece though that is an area we've got to nail down, there's a big push for this deflection concept. This is untried and tested in the state of Oregon, at least in the current proposal. So we really need to know more details on how that's going to work. Because you mean if, they, if they get intervention that they would avoid. That's right. And we just have to make sure we understand what burden that's going to put on the court system. In fact, the number of judges just wrote a letter uh, this week with some concerns and just trying to understand what their obligations are going to be under this concept of deflection. So. Working with the state legislature to get more clarity on that, I think they want the city of Portland because we led the charge in banning outdoor drug use to really come out strong in support of this. These are just some of the pieces that we're working through to really understand how that will look. Well, let me ask you about homelessness because that's yeah. a top concern. Polls show a top concern for Portlanders still. And you said that you've gotten some criticism yeah. for your homeless policies. How will things be different with you as mayor? 
Well, I mean, some of it's a continuation of what I've already done, right? I've taken, uh, I stopped distribution of tents and tarps. I stopped distribution of drug kits. And the concern there is that, one, we cannot enable some of this really destructive behavior on the streets of Portland. So well-intentioned, but sometimes that's attracting behaviors into the city of Portland that we simply cannot afford to support, uh, much less the impact on others. But second, uh, you know, we have been making a big commitment in building shelter as the city of Portland and finding ways to add services to that. I'm going to double down on that. I'm fully committed to that pathway. But we have to do both. It's not an either or in terms of compassion and setting expectations for personal responsibility. And this has been the hardest thing for our community to sort of balance in recent years. It's either you're all in on the compassion or sort of a reactionary that, you know, we've got to lay down the law. We have to do both. And, um, but my commitment to compassion will not cause me to shy away from enforcing the law, setting expectations for public behavior, and holding people accountable if they step over the line. I have to ask you about Portland Street response yeah. because you mentioned not telling them they couldn't give out tents and tarps. You also had a hiring freeze that caused Portland Street response not to be able to expand to 24-7 coverage. And then recently, the mayor asked the Public Safety Bureau heads to look at their budgets and, and see if there's a way to rebalance that. And you proposed at least it was reported, $3 million in cuts to Portland Street response. Got a lot of pushback from people with the street routes like Kaya San, from fellow Commissioner Carmen Rubio. Clarify for us, do you want to see that kind of cut to Portland Street response and why? No, we've been working for a year to find a permanent long-term solution to Portland Street response, including the Joint Office and Homelessness supporting it. Challenge is that Portland Street response was built on a little bit of a financial uh, house of cards. It was a lot of one-time money, whether ARPA or uh, sometimes an opioid settlement and cannabis dollars. And uh, without getting into the mechanics of those different funding sources, some of those are just expiring. And uh, so we need a sound long-term financial solution to Portland Street response that doesn't tap in entirely on the general fund for the city of Portland. The exercise the Fire Bureau is responding to is at the mayor's direction, play through scenarios where there's no additional uh, general fund dollars available and you are unsuccessful in finding outside sources of funding and they played through the scenario presented it but we need that pro that program is important for the community it provides an alternative to police response uh, the relationships they build with people on the street are important uh, it so but so do you want to see them uh, expand a 24-7 coverage eventually citywide? Yes, but the, the big piece about 24-7 is that initially the thought was if you go 24-7, that's going to qualify you for Medicaid funding. As we dug into it over the last year, there are a number of hurdles to qualifying for Medicaid funding. 24-7 is just one piece of it. And the reality, when we look at our public safety system, the majority of our demand is, is ends about 11 p.m. It's your daylight hours towards 11 p.m. So I don't want to move Portland Street response resources from the day to the nighttime just to say we've done 24-7. We actually need them in those core hours. And there's kind of this for overdoses and sometimes it's a homeless outreach right after the sun goes down tends to be a tough period of time. We want to make sure we have resources during those core period adequately staffed before spreading them too thin. Commissioner, I need to stop you there because it's yeah. time for us to take a break, but we'll continue our conversation with the commissioner right after this break. We're back in two minutes.
Hello and welcome back to Stray Talk. I'm Laurel Porter and welcome once again to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Renee Gonzalez and also candidate for Portland Mayor. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again. One of the most important things that you will do if you're elected mayor is hire the new city administrator for this new form of government. And your relationship is going to be so important if you're mayor with the city administrator. And we had Michael Jordan on the show a few weeks ago, the city, the chief administrative officer, and he talked about how critical that's going to be to the future of Portland. Let's listen to what he had to say. They will need to be in each other's hip pocket, like all the time. And they together, representing the executive branch, will need to have a very close relationship with the council. Because they are building, again, the cultural norm for how the city will operate, probably for multiple election cycles to come. And, and so those first folks that are in those roles are just going to be so important to how this all works. For so responding to what Mr. Jordan said, what will the tone and the culture of Portland be like if you're the mayor? Well, we have to simultaneously execute on continuing to implement charter reform. And so there's going to be parts that are going to be done at the end of 2024, but the integration of the systems under the hood, that's actually probably going to be a multi-year project, right? And um, we have recalibrated, we've reorganized the way the bureaus are organized some of that's going to be completed by the end of 2024. Some of that's going to continue into 2025. I'll give you some real specifics. Um, there was a decision made to add these new layers of deputy city administrators. There's a new layer of cost. There's a new layer of bureaucracy in, in the system. We haven't yet done the work to sort of rationalize where is the real duplication in the city government. That's absolutely going to be part of 2025 uh, in the early stages. I think we're going to try and do some of that in 2024, but being realistic, I think in 2025 that's going to be a big part. That's just to save taxpayers some dollars and to make sure we're as efficient as we can be. At the same time, we have brutal public safety challenges on the streets of Portland. We have a national reputation issue right now that is impacting our ability to attract capital, to invest in housing, to attract visitors to the city of Portland, that, to attract families to come and to stay in the city of Portland. While we execute on that inside baseball uh, components. All the mechanics uh, of the government. Yes, that's real, is important, and there's a lot of waste that if we don't address it correctly, it will grow, you know, uh, uh, with this new form of government. But we have to be every single day in the face of the public safety crisis, every day confronting the reputational aspects that are damaging our city. And so uh, I'm gonna need a city administrator that's grinding at that internal piece and then being a big partner on the external piece. So public safety sounds like it's gonna be one of your main focuses. It has to be. I think that's, you know, for most of my adult lifetime, uh, city of Portland is one of the safest cities in America. And uh, what we've seen over the last four years it really has been, we've become average, but it fell overnight. We went from very safe to average overnight. And that's been brutal for Portlanders. That was a big part of our identity. You could walk to the neighborhood grocery store or to a restaurant and feel safe, that your children could bike to the park. And all of that has sort of been implicated in recent years. And so um, I think that has to be front and center. That's both for our neighborhoods, for our businesses, and for our seniors aging in place. I want to quickly ask you about fundraising. So we look at fundraising right now with less than nine months until election. 
election day. You're far ahead of the other candidates. You have about twice as much as the nearest candidate, Mingus Maps. You also have the most large donations. Critics look at some of your support from big donors like mm -hmm. Columbia Sportswear CEO Tim Boyle, former state lawmaker Betsy Johnson, real estate families like the Menashees. And you've got the support of wealthy donors, power brokers, but perhaps not as much grassroots support. Do you think you have the support of everyday Portlanders? I've got more donations than anyone else in the mayor's race. That's Those are individuals. I don't get to take from, you know, that that's people in neighborhoods, that's people across the city. So I'm thrilled with the amount we've raised and I'm thrilled with the number of donors we received. And I'll say in the last election, uh, we had a similar experience. I ran one of the most successful commission race ever under the small donor program. So I like the way it's going and I, we're going to commit to fundraise and to campaign in every neighborhood in the city. Very much looking forward to that process. But I love where we're at. This is exceeding my expectations. I didn't know that we would start this strong. Um, I'd, I'd gladly be in my spot right now. Quickly ask you before we give you a final say here, um, where would you put yourself on the political spectrum? I'm a moderate, you know, it's uh, nationally I'd be deemed left of center. Uh, in the Portland dynamics, <laughs> that's considered something different, but I, I'm, a, I'm a moderate. And at the end of the day, I'm a back to basics. We need a functioning government. We need our parks to be safe and to be able to walk down the street. And so I don't think that's an ideological tie. That's just wanting a city that thrives. And just 15 seconds for a final thought to share with our viewers. Well, I just want to thank you so much for having me on and uh, to Portlanders out there, there. I love this city. I'm a fifth generation Portlander raising three kids in this beautiful city and I want my parents to be able to age here. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to this journey with you, to dialogue with you for the rest of this year on the future of our city and how to restore it to one of the most livable cities in America again. Well, thank Commissioner, you. thank you for joining us here on Straight Talk. If you want to find out more about the Commissioner, check out his webpage. Join us next week when we get a report card on how the metro region's economy is doing and how people are feeling about the future. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.